All right, we're going to be talking about prayer today. And to kick off um, this, this message this morning, I want to show you some prayer memes, right? You guys like memes? I love memes. They're a lot of fun. They make me laugh. Um, and so here's the first one I want to show you on prayer just in my research this week. The first one says, Dear God, my prayer for this coming year is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix them up like you did last year. Amen, right? You ever felt like that, right? <laughs> so the middle-aged spread comes in, you know, it's like for us guys, we go from a six-pack to a keg. You know, here's another one. This is kind of a creeper prayer, right? You guys like Ryan Gosling? Hey, girl, right? You like those? Hey, girl, the Lord just came to me in a vision and told me you needed prayer, so I'm here to lay hands on you, right? So, yep, that's a good one. Next one, for those of you guys that feel like your prayers aren't getting anywhere, maybe you need a prayer helmet, right? And so there's a prayer helmet and enhances your prayers so God can hear them clearly. God also thinks you're really, you really mean it this time, right? And we'll be selling those in the foyer for three easy installments of $99.99. And uh, we'll give you a free handkerchief on the way out uh, if you buy one for a friend. All right. Yeah. So prayer meme there. The most interesting man in the world. Here's his, his idea of prayer. He said, I don't always pray on Facebook, but when I do, it's because I know Jesus answers Facebook prayers first, right? Okay. And then this is my favorite, and this might rub some of you the wrong way, but hey, I'm, I got the mic tonight, and so this is what we're going to do. So here's the last one I want to show you. All right? Bring it on up. Okay. I don't know who came up with the one like equals one prayer, but I'm sending them to hell. <laughs> All right, so totally not theologically accurate. Doesn't represent the heart of God, but it is funny. I don't care who you are, right? It is funny. How many of you guys got that, right? If you really love Jesus, you're going to pray one like equals one prayer, right? Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. And you know, so you have this kind of stuff, and then you get into some prayer circles in church, and it's like just really weird. You ever been in a prayer circle? And I remember the first time I prayed in church, it was, it was just really weird. It's like they asked us to hold hands across the aisle. It's like, this is my first time here. It's like, I don't hold hands with anybody, you know, and you want me to hold hands with strangers. And so, and then they're, they're praying and then they ask people to pray for your neighbor. And, and so they're praying over me. And this, this person like prayed in King James, you know, it was like, and it's like Shakespeare was praying for me, which was just really weird and also very intimidating because when, you know, you're encouraged to pray as a believer, you're thinking, well, man, I don't know, man. It's like, this guy sounded like he really knew the Bible. You know, he spoke in a lot of these and thous. And it's like, this is like really impressive and sounds very spiritual and religious. And I'm thinking, I just came off the beach and everything's like, dude and bra, you know, it's like, man, what's up? You know, and it's like, does God even understand that or care? And, uh, and so prayer can be very, very confusing for a lot of us. And today I want to just be honest to God. We don't always get prayer, do we? We don't. You know, there's all kinds of things. For some of us, we don't know what to pray about. You ever had moments like that? I mean, there have been moments after years of walking with Jesus that I go to pray and I feel like I can't string more than three sentences together. You ever felt like that? You know, for some, we might feel the need to impress God. We've got to have the right words. We've got to say it in a certain way, in a certain posture. We're, 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 we're doing whatever we can to lob it up into heaven and make sure that God hears us. You know, for others, 
It's the idea that we need to inform God of everything that happens. It's almost like, God, did you know that this happened to me? And it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Um, you know, and we kind of get in this dynamic with God where maybe he's not paying attention and he doesn't care. And, it, and it's a disconnect from what the Bible teaches us about prayer. The Bible teaches us that if God knows the hairs on our head, he knows everything, he is everywhere present all the time, then there's not a moment, circumstance, or situation that you face that he's not aware of it, that he's not involved in it that he doesn't care about what's going on in your life. But yet we struggle. You know, and for others, we just feel like we have done so much wrong and we've been so inconsistent in our walk that when we talk, God just tunes us out. And all of those things leave it with feelings that God doesn't hear us and that prayer is unimportant. Today, I want to encourage you and give you five prayers that God hears. Five prayers that God always hears. You're in good company if you struggle with prayer because see the disciples, the guys that hung out with Jesus, that served Jesus, that we read about in the Bible, you know, these guys struggle with prayer too. And they came to Jesus one day and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, right? If you've been in church a while, you've heard it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're thinking, man, Okay, so what does this mean? And so we don't know what it means, and so we just repeat the words. And so those, it, Jesus wasn't saying, this is what you should pray. He said, this is how to pray. And so when we look at this prayer today, there, there are principles, there are statements that God's trying to encourage us, attitudes, if you will, to go in. There are five of them, and here's the first one for you today. The first one is this. God wants, will, will hear prayers that are asking to know and honor him. God hears people that say, God, I want to know you and I want to honor you. See, when we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, pray like this then, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it's interesting because we get hung up on the word hallowed, right? And we hear it being holy. It's like, okay, God's name is holy and holy really freaks us out, right? Because what comes to mind is sacred and sacred becomes untouchable, Right? Some of us have been in church and we've been taught that sacred means completely untouchable, never in, engaging it, but yet God is calling us to be sacred, you know, apart from normal, um, ordained, uh, you know, ordinary things, you know, this being separated from secular into sacred, you know, we create these really weird divides. But sacred doesn't mean that at all. Sacred was never meant to be something where we were so intimidated by it, so fearful of it, that we never even thought about it, touched it, or approached it. But yet that's the way the church has presented, you know, God. So Hallowood really means to treat as sacred, and it means not for common use. And so what it means is when we're talking about God's name being Hallowood, it means, it means that it's not like any other name. It's above the ordinary. It's above the norm. There is no one like him. And so we're, we're talking to someone that is different, that is larger, that is bigger, that is greater, that is loving and kind and approachable. Because, see, he also says, our Father in heaven. See, you put those two ideas together, and it becomes this really incredible picture of connecting with Jesus. 
Because see, the word father in the Old Testament was used 14 times and it was never used by an individual because it was meant to be an intimate statement. People didn't feel worthy. They got this sacred divide between them and God all wrong. They didn't realize that God was a God of covenant and love and wanted them to pursue him because he pursued them. And, and they got caught up in the rituals, the same as you and I, and they became this really weird distance between God, not over morality, but over holiness. God is so far apart from me and so different than me that I could never really come close to him because after all, I'm me, broken, sinful, imperfect, rebellious me. And we miss the whole point of the sacrificial system. We miss the whole point of the picture of Jesus, which is God approaching humanity and saying, come to me. See, when we read that word father, we see it another time where Jesus uses it. He says, Abba, Father, which means daddy. When you talk to God and you think of him as father, is it a term of endearment? This great, incredible, awesome God you can approach as a child approach, approaches a loving father. See, sometimes your first words out of your mouth are the most important words you can say. I remember um, praying with some friends of mine, and there's this one guy named Jesse that Scarborough, man, this guy always got in my business. And it was like, you know, he was this one of those guys that always challenges me and pushes me to the next level. And I remember we were having a prayer time, and I start off, and I said, Lord, and he interrupted right there. He said, is he? And I'm like, shut up. You know, <laughs> this is the next thing I wanted to pray. But I knew exactly what he was saying. See, this incredible, awesome God who loves me as a child that I can approach and call dad was listening to me in that moment. And I was calling him Lord. Do I understand the weight of what I'm saying? Am I really remembering who I'm talking to? You see, that first word is, God, I want to know you. I want to think about you. I want to rest in the truth of who you are. I want to honor you. I want my life to reflect everything that you wanted to give me. And what did Jesus die to give us? A personal relationship, friendship with him. So when we're praying, we're not trying to convince God that we're worthy of anything. We're just coming to him as an awesome dad that just so happened to create the universe and sustains it and controls it and is unlike any other being that has ever lived or existed. See, God honors those prayers. You know, we also see in the Lord's Prayer that God hears prayers that want to know and do His will. Have you ever asked God, God, what do you want? What do you think? Well, we see this in the next verse in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've all had those prayers 
that have gone unanswered, right? I mean, I remember growing up, you know, not even a believer. And, and, you know, for me as a little kid, you know, it's just, you just want to fit in and everything around your life is about finding identity and feeling good about yourself. And so I'm hanging out with my friends and you hear this really loud organ music. We grew up in a trailer park. So it was like rattling off of metal all over the place. And just this really loud organ music, polka music. I mean, it was just loud, 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 loud. And my friends were like, man, who's the crazy person? Who's the idiot playing polka music? And I knew exactly who the crazy person was. It was playing polka music on an organ. It was my mother. It was my mother. My mother loved to play the organ. And man, she'd stomp on that volume pedal and crank that thing up to rattle the windows, man. And she'd sit there playing the she's too fat for me polka. And it's time for me to go home. And I'm praying, I am praying, I'm praying, dear God, please let her stop before we get close enough to know that it's coming from my house. And the Lord did not answer my prayer. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, that just stuck with me. You know, my mom plays the polka music and, and just happened to be that kid. But, you know, you, we, we, for me, that was serious. That was like my first interaction with prayer. Don't even know God. And I'm praying, asking him for the help. And he really did not listen to me at all. And, but maybe you felt like that over different things. Maybe it's more serious for you. I remember praying for God to take away my son's diabetes. I remember asking God to heal me when, when I was down in my health and unable to move. I remember praying for God to heal my wife, you know, when we discovered that she had a tumor on her pituitary gland. And sometimes God would heal and sometimes he wouldn't. And that always confused me. But you know, when you, you get involved and you start thinking about, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you start letting that shape your prayers. It becomes very different. Because see, kingdom, when we talk about kingdom, it means what does life look like when God gets his way? What does God desire for humanity? You know, what did God intend for us to have? What would the world look like if God were the ruler of all things? Well, it wouldn't be dark, <laughs> and it wouldn't be ugly, and it wouldn't be painful, and there wouldn't be sickness. But God, in his sovereignty, inserts himself into a very broken story that was created by rebellious people who act selfishly for themselves and against others, we fill the world with sin and brokenness and God enters into that story and he wants to reestablish that kingdom within the hearts and lives of those people. See, that's God's desire. I want people to know what it's like to trust a good leader, to have a good God, to see light in dark places. And so when we start talking about God's kingdom, it's like, okay, well, God's kingdom is to be good and to rule over good, and God's will is to establish good in the midst of darkness and brokenness and pain. And so when we begin to pray, God, I want to know and do your will, what we're really saying is, is God, where are you in the middle of this? How do you want to use this for your good, for your glory? And when I start looking at it like that, it's not so much about whether I have comfort or perfect health. What I've come to realize is that 
I have a good father who loves me and cares for me and is in control of all things in my life. There are times that he's intervened and done the impossible, the unexplainable. And then there are times where I live with the unexpected and the pain and frustration that goes with it. But even there, God shows himself as strong, as loving, as good. There's not a day that goes by that we're not taught that God is in control. And sometimes the beauty that comes out of prayers that weren't answered the way we wanted them to is far greater. In my experience, when I'm paralyzed and can't move on the floor, God overwhelmed me with hundreds and hundreds of people that gave sacrificially to make sure I had a surgery to regain my health. And he put me in the path of excellent health care and doctors. And he's blessed in that way. And what's come out on the other side is I still have a God who is in control. And in my circumstance, he chose to use people to show the goodness of his kingdom, to show that there was light in darkness. And see, it's what we're asking for God to rule and reign on earth as it does in heaven. God speaks and it changes. And so, why pray? Does it change his plan? No. But it does align us with what he's doing around us. It aligns us with his leadership that's always around us and always working and always active. It helps us to see him in dark places. See, it's more than our comfort. See, David McAfee puts it this way. He's an atheist, and he said, God has an unalterable and perfect plan for every person, but you should still pray in vain, in a vain attempt to change it. Or you could look at it and say, maybe it's not trying to change God's heart. Maybe it's trying to find God's heart. God, I want to live in your kingdom. God, I want to live under your rule. I want to trust you. See, it's a matter of perspective, what lenses you look at. Is it about me? Is it about God entering into my story? Or is it about God calling me into his story and his kingdom? So that's the second point, to know and do his will. Third prayer that God hears are prayers that are offered trusting him for our daily needs. We see this in Matthew 6, 11. It says, give us this day our daily bread, Right? It's, give us what we need today. And that's the way most of us read it. But we, we kind of apply it to just our basic necessities. But do we really dig in enough? You know, maybe you're feeling down and depressed and, and under a ton of pressure and anxiety that you can't climb out of. What do you need? You need hope in that moment. You need strength to face the challenges. You need a moment of peace to be able to clear your heart and mind. See, that's daily bread for you. Emotionally, it's what you need to carry you through, to sustain you, to bring health. And see, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Just what we need today, this moment. But for so many of us, life mushrooms into big problems, right? Because we start thinking about the things that happen today, and we start thinking about the repercussions. If this doesn't change, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And before you know it, the world blows up all because of me, right? And you feel like that. And I'm not making light of those feelings, but... 
but it does feel that way, right? It's like, I have ruined everything. Everything's failing around me, and it's all centered on me. And our greatest need is to realize maybe that it's not about us at all. Maybe we don't need to think about what could happen a year from now, a month from now, a week from now, or tomorrow. Maybe we need to think about today, this moment. God, what do I need? God, I just need you. I I need to come to you for rest. I need to come to you for strength. And so prayer isn't so much about getting God to change what happens a year from now. It's about getting God to change this moment, to meet us at our point of need, to be able to come to him in all honesty and say, God, your word says this, or I heard that it says this, and I don't feel it. I'm not there emotionally. You just need to know that I feel in a position of great need. And it's there that God meets us in that moment. See, it's about that daily bread. It's about the idea that God provides for us each and every moment of every day, that he sustains us and carries us moment by moment by moment by moment. And allows us to rest. But see, for you and I, we like to run ahead. We like to be in control. We like to plan. We like to do whatever we do. And so that's where the friction comes. When we go to pray, it's like, God, fix this so that I can get on to do what I'm doing. Because we, we, we feel like that this weakness, if we're dependent on someone else, when it's actually the best possible place we could live. You want to know why? Because God doesn't expect you to have it all figured out. God doesn't expect you to do it all on your own. God doesn't expect you to come up with all of the strength and wisdom that you need to fix your problems and the world's problems. That's his role. See, if God is all-knowing, then we don't have to have it all figured out. If God is everywhere present, then there's nowhere we can go where he's not there. We're never alone. If God is all-powerful, then we don't have to have the strength to fix anything. We come to him to receive what we need for that moment and that moment only. And it's coming and saying, in this moment, Jesus, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your joy. I need your peace. I need to know you're here. I need to know you care. It's all daily bread. The fourth prayer that God hears is the prayer offered to experience and offer hope, right? Let's look at this one a little bit. Verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This one's really interesting, right? Because we look at this, as it's about sin, right? Forgiveness and sin, which it is. There are things that we do that create these debts, these caverns, if you will. And then we read it, it says, as we have also forgiven debtors. So it's like, if I forgive, then God has to forgive me. That's the way we look at it. But that's not really it at all. It's like this exchange. Then grace is no longer grace, right? It's works. The better you work, the more you get from God. That's not what this verse is teaching. See, it's the idea in proportion. We ask for forgiveness in proportion to what we have given away. In other words, it's like, God, as I have shown forgiveness to others, help me understand forgiveness for myself. You see, forgiveness has to start with others. It has to look at another person and see offense and be able to give it away in order to really understand forgiveness. It's, forgiveness isn't one of those things where you can come and you can just take it from God and embrace it because you'll abuse the heck out of it. The only way that 
forgiveness has power is when you are find yourself in a position where somebody has completely offended you and come against you and you have to offer that forgiveness to them. And I'm telling you what, what you're going to realize is that God's forgiveness was there empowering you to do it. You realize that you've already received something. And that's what God is trying to do. So think about this for a second, the beauty of this picture. Forgive us our debts. And in the proportion that we've given away forgiveness, God, help us understand forgiveness and rest in forgiveness. God, we want to experience and offer hope. Can you imagine filling the world with those kind of relationships? Can you imagine how different your life would be? If you could look at the people that have wronged you, that have deeply, deeply, deeply wronged you, that have marked your life, that have messed you up, and to be able to offer them forgiveness and let yourself off the hook of hate first. Can you imagine the freedom that comes to you? Can you imagine the overwhelming sense of blessing that they receive. See, it offers hope. It makes people approachable. It makes uh, relationships built on, on value and worth and not what you get from one another. In other words, it's filling the world with relationships where there's nothing to earn or prove for yourself or for anybody else. This is hope. We're praying for hope. So when we've got that boss that takes out his brokenness and crushes your spirit, offering forgiveness, one, sets your spirit free from hatred and, and bitterness, but it also extends something to them, an offer of light that they can't find anywhere else because it's not based on their performance. They didn't deserve it. It's saying, hey, there is something I want to offer to you, a friendship, a connection, a, a hope that you can't get by earning or proving your worth because you clearly have not earned or proved it. It's setting people free. Realizing that you are finally free is a beautiful picture. It changes our marriages. It changes the way we interact with our kids. It changes our broken friendships and relationships with our family. That doesn't make everybody like us. but it deeply centers us. It makes us very bright people in a very dark, dark place. God hears that prayer. God, I want to be light in this darkness. Forgiveness. And the last one I'll give you this morning is this, asking for renewed hearts and desires. God hears that prayer. We see this in Matthew 6, 13. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Seems really weird, right? Because you first read it, it's like, well, does God lead some people into temptation and evil? No. What are they asking for? God, change my heart. God, you're leading me. And as I follow you, you're going to lead me out of temptation. You're going to lead me away from evil. God, you're going to give me a new heart. You're going to give me a new desire. Because see, temptation at its bottom level, here's what it is. Temptation isn't the naughty list of things that you do that you're trying to avoid doing. Those are circumstantial. Those are just, that's bait. But what God's trying to do is renew hearts and minds. 
right? And so temptation is fundamentally this, anything that's trying to pull you away from a relationship with God. See, God wants you to know him as his father who is greater than anyone. God wants you to interact with him and know what he wants you to do and to experience his will. God wants you to fill the world with hope and God wants you to trust him for your daily needs. And God wants to give you this incredible daily relationship with him moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute. God wants to be a part of your life and wants you to experience him. And the temptation is to not trust him, to not turn to him, to get so busy that we walk away from him. And so it's this honest plea saying, God, I know that I wander all over the place like a kid in a toy store. I will leave every sense of security. I will abandon every sense of relationship and I will just get pulled in a hundred different directions. But God, I'm asking for you to consciously lead me, give me a new heart, give me new desires that want to be with you. I just want to be with you. That's what he's saying. God, lead me closer to you. It's a powerful thought. God, help me to be devoted to you and you alone. So the bottom line is this, guys. Prayer is about aligning our wants, our desires, and our plans with Jesus' wants desires and plans. See, we're not trying to convince God to enter into our story. We're not trying to convince God that we're saying the right things. We're not trying to convince God that our idea is best. We're simply coming to him saying, God, this is where I'm at. I want to know where you are and I want to be with you. I'm trying to align myself with you. We pray not to inform God, not to impress God, not to incite God to work on our behalf, but we simply come to him to say, God, I want to be with you. And and let me just say this, 30 seconds of sincere prayer like that is better than an hour of senseless rambling. God talks about that in his word. You don't have to pray flowery words and repetitive sentences to convince me to love you, to care for you, to have plans for you, to desire you. I already have all of those things in store for you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you sense that? And so God hears these five prayers. Help me know and honor you. Help me to know and do your will. I'm trusting you for everything I need today. Help me to experience and offer hope and renew my heart and desires. That's how we pray. And the Bible says that you can count on God hearing every word of that.